Hi friends, welcome back to the show. Before we get into today's episode, you may notice something slightly different about my voice, and that is because I've managed to lose it for almost a full week now. Apparently there are other illnesses out there than COVID, uh, and this one decided that the only thing it was going to do would be remove my ability to speak, which is unfortunate given what I spend most of my time doing. So I've rearranged a bunch of podcasts and I've rescheduled stuff. However, it's got to the point where I actually need to record intros and the choice is between not putting episodes out and doing pre-roll intros uh, sounding like Joanna Lumley or or someone very horsey that's trying to seduce you. So uh, sorry, you're going to have to put up with this slightly sort of wispy old man voice today. I do feel fine other than the weird sounds that are emanating from my face. I do actually feel Okay, so don't fret, uh, but yes, you are going to have to put up with this for a little while. On to today's guest. I'm joined by Nama Cates, who is a writer, producer, and creator of the Incel podcast. The world of involuntary celibates continues to be thrust into the public limelight, with incidents in the United States and, most recently in the UK, with Jake Davison's shooting in Plymouth. Nama has spent years investigating incels, so I figured she would be a good place to go to understand exactly what's happening. Today, expect to learn whether the incel community is a terrorist organization, why the incel culture can trap members inside of it, how incels relate to the men's rights movement, the problems associated with driving these communities underground, and much more. I really, really enjoyed this episode. It's fascinating to think about what the externalities are of a modern society when it comes to the dating economy, when it comes to being able to offer up support to men that can't find wives. It's one of the key reasons that we exist on this planet to be able to find a partner, but for some reason, the sympathy doesn't seem to extend to men that can't do it. It's only to other marginalized groups. Why 50% of the men that are in these incel communities are non-white and what that means for intersectionality. Uh, it's just, it's endlessly interesting. And the implications of this, I can only really see getting bigger. So yes, enjoy this one. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you are improving efficiency by bringing all your business processes into one platform. Over 37 thousand companies have already made the move so do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern right now. That's netsuite.com modern. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've won Whoop for over four years now, since way before they were a partner on the show, and it is the only wearable I have ever stuck with because it's the best. It is so innocuous, you do not remember that you've got it on, and yet it tracks absolutely everything 24-7 via something from your wrist. It tracks your heart rate, it tracks your sleep, your recovery, all of your workouts, your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, how much you're breathing throughout the night. It puts all of this into an app and spits out very simple, easy to understand, and fantastic fantastically usable data 
it's phenomenal. I am a massive, massive fan of Whoop, and that is why it's the only wearable that I've ever stuck with. You can join for free, pay nothing for the brand new Whoop 4.0 strap, plus you get your first month for free, and there's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it for free, try it for free, and if you do not like it, after 29 days, they will give you your money back. Head to join.whoop.com slash modernwisdom. That's join.whoop.com slash modernwisdom. This episode is brought to you by AG1. AG1 is a daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Even with the best diet in the world, it is hard to make sure that you get everything that you need. And through a science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced nutrients, AG1 delivers comprehensive support for the brain, gut, and immune system. This is why Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman and Dr. Andrew Huberman and Tim Ferriss are all massive fans. They have tried every other product out there like I have, and this is by far the best one available. Since 2010, AG1 have improved the formula 52 times in the pursuit of making the best foundational nutrition supplement possible through high quality ingredients and rigorous standards. Also, there's a 90-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it and try it for 89 days, and if you don't like it, they'll just give you your money back. Head to drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom for that 90-day money-back guarantee, a year's free supply, vitamin D, five free travel packs, and more. That's drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom. But now, it's time for the wise and wonderful Nama Cates. Nama Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How did you get into researching incels? Um, I've been asked this many times and I don't have a neat story as to how. Um, basically, I have a background in media. I'm a filmmaker, I've written things and acted and, you know, music, everything kind of in that world. Um, and... So I was uh, finishing up a film when I started really getting into podcasts just as a medium. Um, and the ones that I liked the most were true crime kind of stuff. As you know, Crawl Space, my uh, network um, is very true crime oriented. And um, I was just listening to a lot of them. And I guess kind of having just worked on a, a film that is very costly and, you know, labor intensive, time intensive, planning intensive process. Um, also a visual medium, which I've since realized I'm much less visually oriented than I am in terms of words and sound and things like that. Um, and yeah, I was just kind of really appreciating the, the medium, like storytelling through that form was interesting to me. And around the same time, I think incels kind of made their way onto my radar. And, uh, and then I, I had a happenstance encounter with one, with an, with an incel, um, I think in 2017 or so, and it was just a random social media thing. And I started talking to this person and it became very interesting. And I asked if we could record our conversations and he said, fine. And I listened to them back and found them interesting. And it just seemed like a good topic for a podcast. You know, I, I looked around for information about it and, there was hardly any at the time, and that's kind of how it started. Well, I asked 
all of Twitter for their suggestions and the two names that came up as like incel experts were you and James Bloodworth. So you've managed to reach the pinnacle of what Twitter thinks an incel expert is. Yes. I also managed to reach the, uh, whatever you would refer to as the bottom of that. Okay. Bottom of the barrel and at the top. Fine. Yes. that's, That's cool. All right. So how do you define what an incel is? Well, um, there is, the basic definition, involuntary celibate, an incel, someone who is involuntarily celibate, um, categorically, according to the incel community, would just be someone that, you know, doesn't have sexual or romantic relationships despite wanting them. Um, so that's kind of the broadest definition. And uh, there's also like a timeline limit for, for some groups. They say, you know, you have to be a virgin. Some would say, well, it has to be six months or more that you're in this situation that you can say you're, you're incel. Otherwise it's a dry spell or something. Um, so, so there's that, but beyond that, um, is, are we talking about an, an incel, which is just someone who is that whether or not they know it, um, or someone who recognizes that they are an incel. Um, that's kind of the second or middle of the road definition. And then the third, I would say, is someone whose identity is, who, who's really kind of made their identity about that and partakes in the online, you know, community and the, the forums and the websites as we all might be coming to know more about them. Well, now. pretty much everyone during lockdown last year probably was an incel unless you were exactly. living with your partner, right? Right. And, and everyone who... Um, you know, everyone at some point in their lives probably was one too. Obviously, there's some exceptions to that, but yeah, um, if you just go by that definition, that's okay. Not... So there's dry spell, which is a six month period. There's like purity incel, which is someone that hasn't had sex. There's an incel, which is someone that's aware about the fact that they're sort of struggling with women. And then there's somebody who identifies with the community. So you've sort of got a bit of yeah. a hierarchy going on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Cool. <laughs> How do incels relate to the men's rights movement? Do they at all? Um, yes. I mean, again, if we're going by the categorical description of, of an incel, um, and by the way, that's, I, and I don't mean just the categorical description. I mean the one where they're aware of it, but they're not, they don't associate with the community in any way. And I've actually had many people like that on my show, so it's not uncommon you know, these are people who are in cells and who are aware that they are and aware that a community exists, but they just don't relate to a lot of what they see in there. It's kind um, of like a lifestyle, but not an identity. Yeah. Or maybe even if it were an identity, once they realized what was associated with it or what the identity was for most of the people in it, they didn't want anything to do with it. So, um, the original question was, sorry. Men's rights. Men's rights. Okay, so yeah, the men's rights, the MRA, men's rights activists, um, along with incels and along with MGTOW, men going their own way, um, and PUA, pickup artists, and some other sort of, you know, uh, derivations are make up what's called the manosphere now. Um, and the manosphere is uh, described various places to be kind of like a male supremacist umbrella of groups that um, have certain things in common, obviously with the 
a lot of differences between them. Um, there's also a timeline to this. I don't know if you want me to get like too detailed about that. Yeah, give I, us a broad overview. I want to know. I want to know how this all pieces together. Okay, so um, basically, I would say that around the time that like 4chan, 4chan, which started in 2003 or 2005, I don't remember, you know, began and a lot of different social media platforms began. They all kind of came of age around the time, which is the mid aughts, late aughts, that there was this PUA pickup artist movement. And it started with this man, Neil Strauss, who wrote a book called The Game that was um, considered pretty controversial or, or misogynistic at one point, but it was basically just kind of game, like how men can um, gamify the system when it comes to human behavior and mating and what makes people attractive to each other, et cetera. Um, so this was a, a big thing. It was, the book was a huge bestseller um, and it kind of created a a uh, group of dating experts, um, they, you could call them like gurus at the time of pickup, this thing, pickup art, pickup artistry. Um, and there would be, you know, it became another exploitative venture, like there would be weekend ret retreats that cost a lot of money and all of that stuff. Um, and while this was happening um, and 4chan was becoming a thing with its boards like uh, R9K, which was for Hikikimori, a lot of the language that they were coming up with at the time. Um, and you can imagine there'd be some overlap between people that spend too much time on the computer and our young men maybe and aren't getting laid. So there was. Um, and then pickup artists kind of led to like the next generation of, of young men who felt awkward or whatever, having spent money and time and effort and resources on these pickup artist camps and this philosophy and these books and, and seeing that it didn't work for them. So, you know, they became reactionary against pickup artists. And um, if you are really into this stuff like I am, <laughs> you'll know that uh, when people write about Elliot Roger and they talk about the incel forums that he visited, uh, the one that they're referring to is what was called PUA hate, PUA hate.com. So who's Elliot hate, Roger for the people that don't know. So Elliot Rogers, like the first incel killer as, as people would call him and understand that he was a 22 year old who, um, shot up his former, you know, it, it was a college town that he was living in near Santa Barbara. Nyla Vista and, you know, he murdered seven people. So he left a very kind of widely circulated manifesto and he had YouTube videos. Um, he has a persona very much like a American psycho kind of character, like a Oscar Wilde or, you know, very affected kind of persona. So that I think inspired a lot of copycats and that was the first attack that was associated with the incel community, though he himself never used that word. Um, so yeah, this is where PUA, PUA hate kind of started. And around the same time, you had the beginnings of the manosphere. So all these groups kind of coming up together um, in reaction to modern society, feminism, circumstances in their life. Are there gay incels or female incels? Um, so that's a, you know, 
a question I get a lot. Uh, most incels themselves would say that there aren't uh, either um, female incels would call themselves femme cells, and there is a femme cell. There are, you know, it's like um, femme cell chats and servers and stuff. I haven't really seen a dedicated website. Um, it's a pretty different demographic. Uh, the nature of the conversations is very different. Um, and most incels don't think that women really can be incel. Um, they also don't think that gay men can be incel because they think that women's selectivity, how, how picky women are, is the reason that most of them are incel. So when you remove the sexual gatekeeper from the conversation, you just have two protagonists that can go at it as much as they want. Exactly. Okay, cool. Uh, what is it about these communities that makes them appealing? Um, well, that was a question that I raised when I wrote about this, which I think is a very important question. What makes them appealing? What makes any um, counterculture appealing? What makes any fringe group appealing? Um, I think there are many things that do, but for the most part, I think anytime someone, you know, really creates like a new identity and finds a new um, purpose or like a sense of family and community in an external community, that says that there was something missing from their life to begin with. They need to seek you know, externally to find this. So I think that that's what it is. I think that for a lot of people, it just comes down to feeling unimportant, feeling unseen, feeling ignored. Um, and then with this one, it's even more obvious, you know, in this community, they can speak openly about things that are very shameful in other, you know, pretty much everywhere else. All right. So what sort of things do they focus on? Like you've spent far too long, much far longer than is healthy, engrossed in these sorts of chats. What is the sort of content that's in there? Um, so like in the forums or like when they talk to me or maybe. In the forums. So in the forums, you will have a lot of uh, L's, people posting their L's. It's kind of American slang for posting their losses. Um, a lot of commiserating, a lot of talking about something bad that happened uh, today, you know, and how like this, this, and this happened, you know, proof that I'm really subhuman. There will be talk about um, the studies from evolutionary psychology or biology uh, that, um, you know, document that less attract, like the average heights of CEOs or people respond to more attractive people in terms of hiring, things like that. Uh, you know, Tinder data studies and all kinds of stuff like that, mostly. Is that to legitimate the suffering in a way, to kind of give some statistics and some quantifiable backups to what they're experiencing qualitatively? Yes, 100%. Mm -hmm. Um, to validate it and also to offer some kind of explanation. Mm. But so far, it sounds like it's a place where people that are struggling in life can find other people that are also struggling and they get, like you say, commiseration, they get support. But I imagine that 
this must lead to, I know for a fact that it leads to resentment, right? It's not just commiseration of the in-group, it's resentment of the out-group, and the out-group would be women. The out-group, not just women, but I mean, women's kind of the obvious one, but it's also just like normies. I, I would say in the more mature incels that I speak to that do just get what you're describing out of this group, which is, you know, a sense of belonging and oftentimes it's just kind of jokes, humor, like it's gallows humor, it's dark, um, it's memes, but it's still humor. Um, I, I would say for most, and remember this is a community that skews very young, but so the ones that are a little bit older, I think the resentment is not just women, but just kind of society and the hypocrisy of society for not um, acknowledging that people can be shallow and people can be locust and all of these things. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, I've had many examples on the show at this point that have either said uh, explicitly that they feel like the community made things worse for them in terms of their depression. Um, and somewhere I just see it's just not helping. And then there are some that it does help because they find that community. So many people that I've heard on your podcast that are blackpilled or ex-members of this community do really talk about it like almost like leaving a cult. You know, they, they talk about having seen the light of something that was wrong and then they've, they've kind of come out. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's weird, right? Because on one hand, you think, yeah, if people are struggling and they feel marginalized, then yes, give them a support system. That's great. But it's the slippery slope when it can encourage people to almost stay like that. I think you've said that misery and failure are almost sort of celebrated in these forums and that ascending and making more of yourself is sometimes sort of talked down to. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, not necessarily talked uh, or discouraged, but um, because it has to be a community for incels and there's the gatekeeping that goes along with that too, um, people can be banned for uh, bragging. You know, that's one of the main... So if somebody was to sleep, if one of the members was to finally sleep with a woman, would that be classed as bragging? Yes, or even way less than that. Like, the, you know, they'll complain to me that I can barely say anything on there anymore because even if I just say that, like, uh, a female just talked to me today, then they'll, be, they'll call me a chat. And so is that, how much of that do you think is the community protecting itself from hope? That if one member of this community is able to make a tiny little bit of headway, you know, one millimeter in the right direction and, and a girl says yes to them, that that then highlights the fact that there's a potential for other members to do that. And that obviously creates a delta between where they are and where they want to be. And it can cause discomfort. Is that, is that one of the mechanisms? Or yeah, I... sure. I mean, as it is for, you know, I think friend groups in general, when someone kind of succeeds or other ones don't. Um, and then more specifically in this community, because, um, you know, to some degree, rightly, they've uh, experienced bullying or teasing for being whatever it is they perceive themselves to be, you know, to varying degrees, obviously. Um, and they imagine that this person is just LARPing to, to bully them or make fun of them or whatever. So. What's LARPing? Um, live action role playing. 
Okay, does that mean like pretending? Pretending, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. So what are the commonalities about amongst the people that are in these communities, other than the fact that they're struggling with women and not having sex? What other commonalities do you have? Well, um, I would say that overwhelmingly a lot of them are just lonely in general. So um, there are definitely exceptions to this, a substantial amount of them. But um, for the most part, um, a lot of them have trouble with just platonic friendships too and don't feel they have like a, a strong social group. And just with other aspects of purpose in life, a lot of them just aren't happy. A lot of them have, the vast majority of them have some kind of um, like either depression or anxiety, pretty significant amount of it. Um, something like 20% are on the autism spectrum, which is a really, really high percentage. Um, and that's, you know, formal diagnoses too, not just that suspect that they are, but, um, so compared to like one or 2% of the population across the board, that's very high. Um, and yeah, bullying, teasing in, in childhood. Um, uh, a lot of them are neat though. That's not the majority. That's like a third and neat is not in employment or educational training. So they're under, underemployed, under stimulated, you know, um, and then there's other, there are other, um, many other commonalities, but I mean, maybe if you have a question more specifically about uh, one. The first time that I saw the word neat was when the GameStop short squeeze happened earlier this year. And they said that I can't believe Wall Street's been taken down by a bunch of fucking neats. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. But you see the intersection, right, of all of these different cultures coming together. Um, yeah. So what are their views of women then? So I would say that the views of women are women are spoiled, women are privileged, women are, you know, uh, systemically privileged. Um, I think that in this, you know, with varying degrees of, of irony or sincerity. So there's a range of this too, but uh, not, not faithful, not trustworthy, um, selfish, um, obsessed with, with attention, you know, just attention, male attention specifically, more important than anything else. Um, Greedy, I guess, for for both money and attention and chads, um, kind of uh, almost primitive creatures. It seems interesting thinking about it. I agree that there is a um, there is an element of looks from male to female attraction that doesn't always get spoken about. But in my experience, status and resources can account for an awful lot, awful lot of looks. Like, think about the, the old billionaire, right, that's got a really hot young wife. Mm -hmm. Are there any of the guys that are trying to sort of manipulate their way out of inceldom through status or acquiring yes. resources? 
Yes, there are. Um, so they have their kind of uh, hierarchy of what's important to women is looks, money, status in that order. Um, oh, really? Yes. Do you agree with that? No. How no, would you put it? Um, I think it really varies from person to person. And I think personality belongs on that list and they don't. Um, and then I, I think that, I think it's a combination of, they talk about this concept of the halo effect, which is, uh, an idea for when somebody is physically attractive, um, they are seen as being more intelligent, more funny, more kind, you know, the list goes on. And I think that there's plenty of truth to that. Um, but I think the reverse works too, you know, uh, to where if someone is very funny, is very intelligent, is whatever, they are also seen to be more attractive, more of the other things. Um, and the, the blend for each person is very different. And it becomes really difficult to know uh, at some point, you know, objectively. And, and they're, they're very interested in ranking. Like I get asked to rank or rate their appearance one to 10 all the time. And I wouldn't even know how to do that. I, I've never Why done that. Why do you that think that's the case? Uh, well, I have a few um, ideas about it. I mean, obviously, there's some rigid thinking going on in this community, some need for rankings, order, numbers, um, kind of a black and white thinking too sometimes that is maybe a little bit more typically male uh, to rank things like that. Um, maybe a little bit more typically kind of uh, of, a, of a conservative or less sort of adventurous, open-minded personality, which would track to. And then again, you know, with autism spectrum disorder, and I'm not trying to, you know, I have to be very careful whenever I even bring it up, even though I think it's so significant. Um, but that's also, you know, point of view, personality type that tends to be more rigid, more putting things in labels and ranks and so, you know, I think all of those things are, are related and I think they're all also important for people to consider when they think about how to deal with themselves. So some of them have identified the fact that looks are an enabler for status and resources, but they also sort of rank uh, the hierarchy of these in reverse. So looks first as that. What about yes. trying to make themselves look more attractive? Isn't there a thing, looks max yes. or something? So What's looks, that? looks maxing just means making yourself more attractive physically, um, only physically. physically. yes uh there's other I, I mean so if so status maxing is is a term too that people can do uh which i think is i always tell them go for that that's very important <laughs> um more important than any of the others um gesture maxing being funny that's their term for it you can gesture max your way into ascension. Um, and then there's others too. There's all kinds of categories, but um, the money one, they refer to differently as beta buxing. So that's not just maxing, um, it's beta bucks. And the reason they don't all just try to do this is because then you might be able to buy your way into having a relationship or even getting married or whatever, but 
the woman will always be thinking of Chad because you're beta and she'll never really be attracted to you or really love you um, or be loyal to you. And that's why money is the third of the three. Or is status the third of the three? No, status is the third, LMS. That's so, interesting. Well, they think that um, two women looks is most important than money and then status. I disagree again, but um, that's not really ranking the outcomes of, you know, this isn't all airtight. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> It's not really ranking the, the outcomes of working on either uh, any of the three things. It's just beta beta gets a different category also because it sounds good, I guess. Beta yeah, it rhymes better, right? So yeah. you've mentioned before that the incels particularly feel sort of marginalized in a modern woke culture. What's that mean? Mm -hmm. Well, that I think I think there's truth to that because um, because of you know many of our current uh, movements, I guess, um, and attempts to sort of correct um, portions of our history that have been less fair to some identity or another. Um, men, and a lot of people think of incels as being white men, even though that's, that's not true, it's about half and half. Um, <clears throat> Uh, are you know they're they're not very high up on the epistemology victimology scale. It's kind of on the bottom. So I think that where we do have a tremendous amount of empathy, or at least formative, at least the appearance of of empathy being granted to almost any uh, any group you can name now, protected class, um, there is none from supposedly the more empathetic people toward this group yeah empathy and victimhood is sort of in vogue at the moment right like it signaling we're, we're so compassionate we really care about this marginalized group why do you think it is that incels aren't getting that same love is it just that they're part of a, a what would be a traditional oppressive class i.e patriarchy i i think that's where it starts um i think there's also quite a bit of moral panic right now in our culture over um, issues like racism and, and misogyny, as there should be, but to then ascribe, you know, things that are not, well, <clears throat> um, just because, so, so incels are this misogynistic group uh, from the privileged class of men. Um, and so therefore what they do that is horrible is, I, I don't know, it doesn't entirely make sense to me, but I guess um, there is a tendency now because everyone's very polarized, uh, for especially in sort of the mainstream to really um, explain anything that's horrible and ugly and unwanted and reviled and, you know, dangerous into like, um, something that we can say is just this big that evil like racism or misogyny or something. And so I guess it's difficult for people to imagine that if one belongs to this group, they can't also be um, deserving of 
they one can't be they don't neatly fit into oppressor or oppressed yeah yeah and also it's it's derived from individual preferences yeah and that's very hard how do you say i'm angry at you evolutionary programming like i'm hang- angry at you hypergamy mm-hmm. right. especially when everybody is at the mercy it's like being angry at gravity or right something. well if people accept that those things are they do actually exist and not everyone does but yeah <laughs> yeah well hopefully i don't know i mean that it blows it blows my mind the, the blank slateism uh, I've got James Budworth coming on. I saw that he had a conversation with um, a, a feminist, a s- series of letters. And uh, I was blown away by the fact that most feminists ascribe to, or she said that most feminists apparently ascribe to this sort of blank slate theory, which is that the only differences that you have between men and women are because of socialization. And you're like, yeah. you, you've read nothing. I, I, I don't understand. How- also, common sense. Would, I mean, really, just a minimum of, of common sense, I think, would suggest otherwise well if that person is in a relationship or if those people are in relationships you'd say okay is your husband shorter than you yeah not right your husband earn less than you right is your husband less educated than you does your husband have less status than you i can almost guarantee that it's not going to be two of those four exactly why is that there oh well you know we just have our well no that's preferences where do you think they came from yes like do you think that we just recreated all the preferences that exist in the animal kingdom through socialization so we we dispensed with them every other animal got them it's like do you know what it is it's the biological equivalent of flat earthers Mm -hmm. it's that i know that i can see out there in the ether spheres the moon's a sphere and the sun's a sphere and all of these other planets and and stars but we're not, but we've actually reinvented it so that it kind of looks and feels like we are. Right, right. Always Occam's razor, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what about being pro-monogamy? Because I only learned kind of recently about the, um, the, the usefulness of monogamy as a redistributive strategy for sex. And I guess that the incels are probably quite pro that. They are pro-monogamy. Uh generally because so many of them haven't even had a relationship that well why wouldn't they be and and then they have these fears about um you know women being unfaithful so it would make sense that they're pro that i mean well on the flip side sorry <laughs> I, I would have guessed that in a different version of the world they could have said well if a, a society was more sexually liberal and women were more free and open, I might right. be able to get laid more easily. So right. it doesn't necessarily logically follow that monogamy, w- that they would be pro-monogamy. That's, that's true. Um, and there are some that actually think that way. There, there are a few that, that do think that way, that because women are you know, more sexually liberated, that that actually works in their favor. But um, where they don't is you know, what you kind of alluded to, this idea of enforced monogamy, just that in the past... When women weren't so hypergamous and didn't have these endless options, um, there would be other reasons they'd have to stay with with someone. Um, and then maybe beta bucks wouldn't be such a taboo thing. Um, but now that women have all these options, then they are only going to want Chad. Um, I think there's just a, a crossover more generally between kind of traditionalist um, thinking or more issues with contemporary society um, for, for a number and, and incels for a number of reasons. I mean, 
one is I think kind of obvious of just what we talked about with the, you know, um, or maybe we didn't talk about it so much, but, but feminism and, and women's um, financial, uh, women's ability to have agency and to have a career. What's the problem with that? Um, I don't think they have a problem with it, it per se. I think it's kind of what you alluded to, which is that being that women now can do all those things and sort of elevate themselves on all these levels, but they still want a man that's equal. Across and above. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That it leaves a lot of them out. You know, it takes them out of the... This is, I mean, I've spoken about this loads, but it is so fascinating what's happening when you've given women the ability to earn status, education, and resources off their own back. And the externality of it is so crazy and no one could have predicted. Well, maybe with unbelievable foresight, you might have been able to predict. But the fact that women quite rightly should be allowed to do what they want and become smarter and richer and be more well-known, more famous, but that they're fundamentally going to shrink their own dating pool by doing this, which leads to a bunch of disassociated, disaffected men who only have other men to be friends with and a bunch of singleton women who are struggling to find a man that they're fundamentally attracted to mm-hmm. and then a bunch of like the only person that's come out of this well are the nines and tens in the <laughs> on the men's side like no right. one else has come out of this in a good situation yeah i i mean it's true and you can't it's one of those things that you can't really like no one would want to. I wouldn't want to, obviously. Um, not to say that anybody would, but even if one did believe that, you know, turning the clock back on this... Oh, curtail was, women's ability to become educated, rich, and well-known in an attempt to make them more happy in a relationship. Right, right, exactly. Sorry, but, women, no more education <laughs> for you. Yeah, get back into the uh, the kitchen. Um, it, you can't put that back anyway, even if somebody were to want that. So it's just kind of something that we have to contend with. As a species, we've had many changes very quickly. Um, most recently, we're dealing with social media and, uh, and dating apps and you know people having the ability to have what looks like infinite swipes and endless options and to uh, specify their you know, their criteria for what they need, whether it's height or income or whatever. Um, When I think when people meet in real life, it doesn't really work like that. Uh, Attraction happens. I mean, proximity, just being close to someone geographically. Think about anyone that's uh, worked in an office environment. You end up with the weirdest crushes on people. Yes, like, exactly. Why am I, I? If I saw this exactly. person out on the street, I wouldn't even look at them twice. Exactly. But because I'm around them all the time, yes. this proximity effect just means... I don't know. I get this weird, I don't know, weird sense something, of attraction. Yeah, exactly. And that really happens. That really is the way that attraction often works. Um, and these dating apps take that out of the equation. They don't even give that the opportunity to happen. They also lead people to really, if people weren't selecting based on looks first before they really are now, all you have is this tiny 2D curated image of someone to make your first you know decision what have been some of the changes that have occurred since you've been researching the incel community have you noticed the the community sort of grow or shift or morph at all 
Yeah, I think there's been a lot of changes to it. Um, but, you know, it hasn't been around that long to begin with. Uh, so it's kind of hard for me to say Still what forming, is. Yeah. yeah, and what's also just cyclical, natural ups and downs. I mean, there's just been a lot more attention on it since I started um, by media, academia, security, all these bodies. Um, and then there's also been a lot of censorship. So when I started the research, there were a few issues here and there. Um, the main subreddit for incels had been banned in 2017, leading to this website um, that's now like the most popular one. But since that time, but there were others. And since that time, they've all been banned. In the last two years, a little less than two years, they've all been banned. So it's really leading to a different, I mean, it, I think it just changes the nature of a community when everybody kind of is funneled to one place and, um, and when there's so much scrutiny that would change the, uh, the content in the forum, I think, to be a little bit more paranoid. Some people become a little bit more shocking and edgelordy because they realize reporters and things What's are... What's edgelordy? An edgelord is someone who, uh, you know, is edgy online who will make provocative comments. Okay. But yeah, I mean, as soon as you drive a community or a movement underground, it's going to become more subversive. I know that we've both spoken to Andrew Gold and he was saying that one of the or the, the number one risk factor for non-offending pedophiles is sort of stigmatization by society. Mm -hmm. That if they feel like there isn't a place for them in society, then why am I playing by your rules? What's the point? Yeah. And I suppose that you get the same here, that if you feel like you're being ostracized by society at large, well, all right, fuck it. Like, I'm going to say the meanest stuff. I'm going to come up with the darkest memes. I'm going to be the edgiest edgelord that I can because, mm -hmm. like... There's no place for me there, so I might as well craft out a place for me here. Yeah, and for people who are already kind of on the on the border to where they have a toe into a fringe community um, that might be extremist or whatever, um, and usually will come with like a kind of a persecution narrative that we're being persecuted and they all want us dead and just like most fringe communities have, um, that for people that are actually leaning toward believing that, that's just all the more confirmation that society wants nothing to do with you. They want you dead. So where are they speaking now? If the subreddits have been removed and everything else has been chopped away, have they gone to the dark web or Discord servers or what? They speak a lot on Discord. Um, the Their main website, uh, incels.is currently, it has domain changes occasionally for a lot of these reasons, censorship and things like that, various governments. Um, so that's the biggest incel site. Um, and I talk with those, you know, the administrators of that site a lot on the, on the show. Um, and then there are, there are a few others, you know, um, that usually kind of start up and, and fall down or splinter pretty quickly. So the most recent sort of high-profile incel news story that we've had was here in the UK. Yeah. Uh, the guy from Plymouth, Jake Davison, who there's sort of some debate around 
exactly how he was motivated to commit what he did, what were the contributing factors, and you wrote this really great article for Unheard, which will be linked in the show notes below if everyone wants to go and check that out. What do you think the press got wrong about the Jake Davison situation? Um, I think they got it all wrong. <laughs> um, I just think that some of it probably kind of knowingly um, in terms of how connected he was to this community. I, I don't think that that was, um, you know, he did have a connection to it. I would consider him an incel. Most incels probably would. He never, um, never called himself that. He actually made an effort, you know, to kind of distinguish himself from them. And he was also um, active in some subreddits that were anti-incel or, you know, about wanting to debate incels or prove them wrong. Um, he was just seemed back and forth with regards to that. Um, so, you know, that's, that's very basic point number one. Uh, like, because then if you're going to say, well, he was an, an incel, even though he didn't call himself one, he didn't identify that way, um, but this is what led him to kill, you, you just can't do that um, with that kind of definition. But, um, you know, I think that they're, they're missing some things. I think that uh, for me reading it, it seems like there was not evidence that this was even planned necessarily. There was no manifesto. There was no leakage. There was no um, looking for information about, like, location or individuals. Um, I can't even tell from what I read, and I read all his Reddit and everything, um, that he was even necessarily like suicidal in an acute way that he hadn't been on and off for a long time. Uh, I think he was, he had mental health issues. He was a gun owner. He had an assault. Um, he seemed to be using uh, performance enhancing drugs, steroids um, from his, his post history. Um, so, you know, I think that there's just a lot uh, missing from that story. Uh, and then I also think that the, the conversation very much became, um, are we going to call this terrorism and, and why don't we? And um, I just don't know what that would even do, what it would really help. Because Yeah, so this, was, this was quite a, a strong talking point that I guess aligns with the oppressor-oppressed victimhood narrative. Mm -hmm. Everything needs to be systemic. It can't be an individual and their idiosyncratic peculiarities about their personal life. It has to be this sort of tip of the iceberg of this emergent substructure from a yeah. group that from a group that everybody knows is wrong, an outgroup that's close enough to our in-group for us to be able to hate them. And quite quickly, there were these talks around, this is a man that hated women. He was on websites that are misogynistic and uh, very, very dangerous. And this should be classed in exactly the same way as somebody that wanted to go out and shoot white people or shoot mm -hmm. disabled people or whatever, that it should be classed in that way. Let's say that Jake Davison had been a full red-blooded incel edgelord from mm -hmm. the depths of one of those forums. Do you think that that would have justified classing it as a terrorist attack? I don't. I don't think that's... I don't think it meets that definition. I mean, you could call that 
possibly a hate crime if the targets are women or something like that. I would say that that could apply, but terrorism has to have a political aim. And I don't think that any of the incel attacks have had a political aim. I just think that that's the wrong word, the wrong set of expertise and, and resources to devote to this issue because, you know, people that know about terrorism and counterterrorism, it's, it's different. It has a meaning. It has a very specific meaning, you know, um, and this just does not, it's not commensurate to. Well, you could argue perhaps that some of the men in these groups are trying to send a message to women that if you reject us, that we may, we can strike back. This is a way that we can take power. Don't you forget that men are stronger and with guns we can be stronger several hundred times over? I guess you could, um, but I just don't think that, I think it's a stretch, uh, you know, to call it terrorism in the first place. Um, I don't think it would be the right you know, I think that this is a problem and, and problems with having, uh, let's say it's it's not terrorism, let's say it's not even violent extremism, but just extremism, just, you know, a fringe misogynistic group. I think that um, there are things about that in and of itself that I would consider dangerous and very unhealthy. Um, and I think that it should be handled if that's really like the motivating factor, or even if not, it, it should be addressed um, with there should be some approach some actual you know scientifically sound and thought through approach to dealing with this problem and with the problem of people being sort of pulled into um very dark ideologies there's there should be and this is a group of people that um also would just benefit even if they are like the, the lone wolf or just someone on a downward spiral uh, that maybe would have benefited a lot from some kind of intervention, but I just don't, I don't think it's terrorism. I would agree that deploying the counterterrorism unit, like Jack Bauer isn't going to be able to make much of this Jake Davison situation. You're right that if you have a very particular set of skills and those are uh, counterintelligence, they are collecting assets and working out, you know, I mean, when these groups are, are having Reddit threads shut down and that's like a big blow to the community, it, it, they're not operating at the same sort of level. Uh, and I think that fundamentally what this comes out of, which is different to most terrorist organizations, is not uh, the impetus for why people join is not because of a shared vision around the world. It's because of a personal experience of the yeah. world, mm. which has resulted in a commonality that they've been able to bond over. Yes. Yeah. And that might be true for why a lot of individuals join these other groups too, that they, what they really share is a personal experience that they're then sublimating onto this, you know, wider problem. But it's, this is just different. What about incels and white supremacy? Because I saw that get thrown around as well. Far-right mm -hmm. hate groups and white supremacy. Is that just the press churning out the usual talking points that they sometimes, like if, you, if patriarchy, then sometimes white supremacy and also far-right hate groups, or is there actually something to this? 
there there is something to it insofar as the the language is you know borrowed and it goes back and forth between these communities because a lot of them again also they both grew out of 4chan the the alt right as we currently know it the young ones um the memes and everything like that there's some similarities in that culture there are similarities in the fact that they're both uh anti-feminist to a degree traditionalist a lot of that i think has crossover with those personality types that kind of mentioned before which is why some of this material would be more seductive for a certain personality type so i would say there's a lot of crossover also any any um you know, army in the past, any like uh, terrorist group or just hate group or anything like that. Now the people who join are probably going to be like disaffected young men that don't have a girlfriend and don't have that much to lose. So there's just that. Um, have you seen much talk about race in the groups that you were a part of? Yes, there's loads of talk about race. Um, they use very, uh, you know, politically incorrect or, you know, offensive language to talk about it. But it's not racism in, I know this, we get into a lot of trouble when we try to talk or define anything to do with this concept right now. And I understand that it can still be considered racist to say things that are offensive, even if the intention isn't to offend or isn't hate. Um, but I would just make that distinction that uh, mostly it's people of other races sort of talking about themselves. Um, they talk a lot about women being racist and how women are, um, you know, more racist and more picky than men in terms of their dating app matches and things like that. Yeah, so I think contextualizing the other sort of language that's being used in these groups probably changes the use of the N-word to, yeah. to, to something else because when you are being as edgy as you can, mm -hmm. uh, you, you, using the N-word is almost just like a... I mean, it's crazy to think. I went, on a, I went on one of these new video hosting platforms, you know, one of these decentralized yeah. things and uh, with unmoderated comments. And I was blow I was like, wow, I can't believe that people post stuff like this on the internet. I couldn't believe that it yeah. even still existed. So yeah, when you contextualize stuff like that, it does make sense. You mentioned earlier on that you said it was about 50-50 when you were yeah. talking about white participants <laughs> of these groups to other ethnic backgrounds. Is that right? Yes. Uh, at least in like incels.co or .is now. 50% of the people on incels.co Mm -hmm. are from an ethnic minority. Mm -hmm. And that's um and that's given the fact that most of the uh members are from Europe and the United States. So that's even I would say it's that's not like you've got an overrepresentative Indian population in here or like loads of people from Ghana or something like that that are bringing the numbers up. Well, right. I mean, but you'd think that given I don't know, I think it in the United States, still something like 70 or so percent is, is white. And Europe's probably similar. So, you know, the majority of the members are from those countries, then that's definitely not, um, I don't think that's overrepresenting. Yeah. So, proportionally, you have an overrepresentation of minorities in this group. Maybe even a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. It is.
this is a, a if it's correct. I mean, how how are you judging that? Have they got some sort of self-reporting thing when they sign they, up with their profile, and have you been able to drill these data? They yeah, they do. I mean, this is one of the first things that kind of interested me was that they take they were doing this of their own community these polls um, every six months that were long and were great questions and you know would get sample sizes that like most academics could dream of like yeah, you'd never be able to get this if you were yeah. outside of the group yeah exactly uh, so and I, and I'm pretty sure people answer quite honestly there. That's crazy. So I mean, yeah. this is this is another one of those, I suppose, challenges where a victimhood narrative and the uh, current popular viewpoint of the world kind of the intersection starts to clash up against itself, right? That you're yeah. supposed to be helping people that are in minorities, but this is a minority group which is also a man. Mm-hmm. This man is part of the patriarchy. There's there's something else as well. There's an X factor that I don't think we've touched on yet. And it's like, it's not an X factor. It's like an ick factor. There's, yeah. there's sort of there's something about the group that yes. causes society at large to feel. Have you sort of considered why this is? Yeah, I mean, I've thought about that a lot because uh, it's so. It was so striking when I first started the podcast. The reactions people would have, and really, they're just people just did not want to hear anything about it. They just didn't want to touch it. And, and I noticed that from, from men at first, at least a little bit more than women even. Um, and, you know, I've, I've asked about that. One incel who's been on my show uh, very early on had a good theory, which was that um, part of the reason people are so, uh, they have such a visceral reaction to it. Cause I asked, uh, him that too is that um, well because we're the people that they always teased you know when they were kids in school or whatever and kind of suggesting that uh, having to, to look at this would mean having to acknowledge that they have been shallow and cruel and I think that there might be an element of that and then I think that there's also just like the sense that it's like contagious and people just don't want to be associated with that thing with this undesirable you know annoying virgin loser creepy guy and so there's just a real aversion to it well on top of that as well i think that there's a sense there's no prestige associated with supporting this group so what you might see um from somebody supporting an obviously um uh, an obvious minority, someone that's disabled, let's say. Like, look at me. Look at how valiant I yes. am. I am supporting this marginalized group. Mm-hmm. And this is a comment on my moral grandstanding as a human. Whereas, like, who's going to stand up and give the guy that supports guys that can't get laid a pat on the back? Like, right. it just seems like, I, I think as well, and I'm sure that this appears in the groups, but there's also a sense of there's something wrong with you if you yeah. can't get a woman, that this is something fundamental that men are supposed to do. Exactly, um, yeah. That there is a almost a sense that they deserve it in some yes. way, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, and there were, people will say that explicitly, like, oh, you must deserve it. So, I mean, in a way that, in a way that, that, that does kind of uh, at least confirm some of the incels' feelings about this, which is that, um, in our society, 
to it's still kind of like acceptable to make fun of someone for that you know uh it still suggests that there is something very wrong with a person who can't and and so much so that the people are even afraid to say anything you know um in defense of them I was talking about this at a cricket match the other day, like the most British way to have a conversation about about sort of uh, social norms. We were talking about the fact that if you were to uh, sing a racist chant, uh, that would be newsworthy, right? There would be an investigation. It would be a hate crime. Um, and the the summary of that is that we don't want people to um, feel sad because of an immutable characteristic that's part of them. But that that level of protection only extends so far. So if you started making jokes about somebody or if you started a chant about somebody being ginger, that wouldn't be classed as being protected. Or for instance, the, the example that we heard was we were at a game and there was a player there who apparently recently had either split up with his wife or his wife had been caught cheating on him or something like that. And this chant came up about like, where's your wife at to, to this player. Now let's say that that player was a, a minority, I'm pretty sure that the one that would have hurt most would have been the chant about his wife, yeah. which is very pinpoint, and it, it's, a, it's a pain trigger that's, yeah, that's ex exclusively cruel. for him. Yeah, it's absolutely cruel. Yeah. Um, and it feels like there's some sort of resonance between the protection that we have uh, and the lack thereof within the incel community. Mm -hmm. Can, do, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You're, I don't know, it's like... Um, there's kind of like this men should be able to take that kind of joking uh, on the one hand. Um, and if they, you know, certainly it should be joking because they should also be able to handle a woman and this and that. So there's, there's that, which is very much playing into the whole traditional uh, gender norms for one, which is part of why it's so hypocritical. Um, and then, that if they can't, they're just whining and complaining and like, you know, get a hobby, go to the gym, stop whining. But that's not consistent with the idea that men are, should be able to express their feelings, their hurt, um, or that we should be very sensitive not to, um, to punch down on someone's either immutable characteristics or just circumstances in their life that are not things that any of us want yeah it's like it's okay to talk but not about the fact that you can't get laid like mm -hmm. it's, a, it's okay to talk is is the mental health campaign that's mm -hmm. going on in the uk at the moment yeah. and you think well yeah there's something about it there's some sort of blind spot i mean i'm i'm feeling that and especially as i've been reading more about this in preparation for speaking to you and just generally i was quite sort of fascinated by the the community overall um my empathy is is quite conflicted here because I really, really do feel, and hearing the guys talk on your show, they're obviously, you know, really sensitive humans mm -hmm. for the most part. I think you've had mm -hmm. some that are a little bit more sort of on the psychotic end uh, yeah. of the spectrum. But for the most part, these are just lonely guys that you want to take under your wing and go, look, dude, like, come out for a beer. Mm -hmm. it'll, be, it'll be sweet. Like, we'll just go for a beer and, and it, it'll be fine. Um, and on the flip side, it, there's a challenge because some of the, uh, as you get deeper and deeper into some of these communities, the fact that you can have 
quite dangerous narratives around women that the coping mechanisms that some of these groups have used i.e sort of this in-group out-group hatred of women and then also of whatever the normies the chads that's something really isn't so deserving of empathy but you can if you've tracked this step by step you can see where that comes from yeah have you found yourself i mean i know that you've previously been criticized for being too empathetic with these individuals Mm -hmm. is this something that you battle with internally um maybe a tiny bit but pretty rarely because like i I don't really battle with my actual position on it um because i i really do feel that um with anyone that believes in like a malevolent ideology with like a designated enemy and that that did they weren't born that way that did start somewhere there's something missing for this person and all of the evil that can come from that if we really want to stop that then coming approaching us from a place of understanding that these are actually human beings and that they're unhappy and that you know i think it would also end up um keeping us all more safe in the long run i really do i don't think that like you can silence and shame and shut these things out of existence um so no but there there are times that uh i just get really fed up with with reading the things that i read and with the attitudes i get sometimes why do you get why do you get fed up um well because some of the things are horrible i mean like horribly uh misogynistic and you know um the you know it, it, you do get sick of it sometimes like it's funny because i i read from all these people that work in countering violent extremism and things like that and they they talk about how difficult it is for them to just read this content and oh god i can't i don't feel that way like i don't find it like traumatizing to me to read things from a forum i just don't but um i can i can find it like there there's some days where i'm just just sick of it or, or find it sickening or i'm talking to an individual who is being really uh stubborn and like woe is me and you know even a little rude to me when i'm giving them my time and it's it can just be exhausting um and sometimes you know the ideas that come out of it yeah i really do kind of sicken me but um i still think that for the most part any individual when they're out of their echo chamber and out of their group is very different and on that level kind of a one-on-one level um i don't feel that way toward any of the people i speak to it doesn't sound that way either. I think maybe there was one episode that I heard where the guy, I was like, wow, this guy's like really intense. Um, but other than that, most of them, most of them really do just seem like people trying to find out answers. Um, there's a quote from The Moral Animal by Robert Wright. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this book. I'm going to guess mm-hmm. it'll probably be quite popular in, in circles. Yeah. It was one of the first big evolutionary psychology books. And there's this quote that just hit me. I knew that I had it somewhere and I saw this Jake Davison thing and thought went went searching in my readwise highlights here's a quote male violence can be dampened by circumstance and one circumstance is a mate we would expect womanless men to compete with special ferocity and they do 
An unmarried man between 24 and 35 years of age is about three times as likely to murder another male as a married man the same age. Some of this difference, no doubt, reflects the kind of men who do and don't get married to begin with. But Martin Daly and Margot Wilson have argued cogently that a good part of the difference may lie in the pacifying effect of marriage. And that was written in 1993 or 1995. So we're talking on like nearly 30 years that this has been quite common understanding. Well, I think it was a common understanding. And I think now if that were written, it would be met with some objections, I would I would think. Maybe the author would be canceled. <laughs> Robert wrote that book at precisely the right time, but he said that he came from a, a very uh, religious background. Mm-hmm. And the book is written, it's semi-biographical about Charles Darwin. And mm-hmm. he was like, really, really bad. I'm pretty certain that Robert's dad is like, was really active in the church or maybe was a, some sort of okay. pastor or, or, or priest or something. And he got in, he got in so much trouble. Uh, and it's mad because yeah. he's still, he came on the podcast like five months ago and he's still going 30 years hence, been just delivering these really incisive talks. Uh-huh. And this book is beyond interest. It's so good. Uh, it's really long as well. Um, and yeah, it's so current. I, I really do love it. But yeah, that male violence thing, like, of course, of course yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Like, why why wouldn't you think that there would be a pacifying effect of having a mate? Yeah, exactly. It's really not that, not that hard to get one's mind around. Yeah, to have, an, to have an underclass. Do, does anyone in the incel groups, do they, any of them talk about this situation in China where you have these entire tower blocks of disaffected men who are unable to get dates? Oh, I haven't heard about it in China. In Japan, in Japan, there there's the hikikimori. That might be what I'm talking about, and I've okay, just been yeah. very pejorative about an entire nation of people. Sorry, yeah, it's fine. Uh, I could be wrong too. Um. Okay. So, whatever that group is, have you have you? Do they talk about that, or have you learned about that? Yeah, the hikikimori. Um, I would say it's kind of like a proto incel group. You know. Um. In Japan, uh, they're young people. Not it's not gendered there, though it is mostly men. Um, but the term doesn't, you know, uh, make a distinction. And they don't work. They're not in school. They're not providing for themselves. They don't have like adult relationships, and they basically just kind of stay home and live off their parents. Uh, this was such a big problem at one point that um, the Japanese government actually took a report of like how many of these people there were. And there were so many that they began to refer to the 2030 problem, which is what would happen when most of these um, hikikimori, most of their parents would, would die and like how we're going to provide for these people. Crazy. Mm-hmm. What do you think's next for the incel community it would appear that they're being squeezed increasingly from a technological standpoint um it also appears that there are increasingly more countercultures anti-black pill um cultures that are coming through i don't know what the sort of relative memberships are like they're still pretty small um i think that you know, I really thought that this problem would more or less go away, not that incels would, but just that 
this association with like attacks and therefore the increased censorship and stuff would because I I don't know why I just did. Um, but I, I feel like the more scrutiny there is on this community, I just think that causes more of a problem. Um, why? Because, well, from a purely pragmatic standpoint, let's just say if you're law enforcement, um, when every big tech platform censors them, they migrate and become harder to monitor. So that's just, you know, one very obvious problem, I think. Two is that then there becomes no um, back and forth with different perspectives. So more of an echo chamber, more of an extreme echo chamber. Um, and yeah, it, it sort of confirms that idea of being persecuted and being having no place in society. And then also for those very few that I believe are, you know, maybe violent to begin with, have a, a fascination with mass shooters to begin with, are just deranged, um, then they know that adding this kind of cause to whatever they do will just up the notoriety. And there are some sick individuals that want that. So I think it's a problem in, in many ways. And I think that hopefully there begins to be a little bit of a change in that conversation, the way that they're dealt with, because this will always be a part of our society and um, it will always be, a, you know, a problem and a source of, of grief or conflict for someone to feel that they have no place in it and no family and are not desired. And so those are the deeper issues and need to look at those. Nama Cates, ladies and gentlemen, if people want to check out what you do and listen to your podcast, where should they go? Um, it's called Incel, and it's the only podcast called Incel. <laughs> so it's available pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, my Twitter for the show is at Incel Project, and my personal Twitter at Nama Cates. That's, that's it for, for social media and me. Cheers. Thanks for today. Thank you. 